0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey,
1: it's Sarah. Hey, it's Amanda. And this week, we are going to be talking about a Doe case, but we are also going to highlight a place that some sources consider to be one of the most haunted places in America. So many of you know the Boy in the Box. It's a case that we covered already this year, and it's considered the most iconic unidentified child in America. There's also another case that you might not have heard about. It's Philadelphia's lesser known unidentified child and also known as the girl in the box or AKA Philadelphia County Jane Doe, 1962. So today we're gonna dive into this almost 60 year old mystery. But first, a warning. This case involves a small child that was brutally murdered. And if this case is too upsetting, you should probably skip this episode or skip to the spooky section in the end. So it starts in May 3rd of 1962 when Jesse Davis started his day like any other. He worked as a deckhand on a barge on the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia. He was standing on the deck preparing for his next duties for the day when he saw something strange out of the corner of his eye. He turned and looked over the edge of the deck to see something what appeared to be a yellow wooden milk crate with a clothesline tied around it, floating on the water just off the property of the Atlantic Refining Company. It wouldn't be out of the norm to see some type of trash floating in the river. We've all seen trash floating in the river, especially the Susquehanna. It's kind of gross. Plus, several sources say that even the School Cove River is kind of known for being a dumping ground for all kinds of things. So something about this was different. He leaned over the side of the boat, pulled the milk crate closer, and as the knife sliced through the line and the crate opened, a human body floated to the surface. Absolutely horrified, he noticed Harbor Patrol. The milk crate was brought to land, and inside they found the body of a very young African American girl. It was presumed that she was between the ages of four and six, and she was about three foot four inches, 45 pounds, and badly decomposed. She was determined that she was in the water for five days to two months. Wow. I know, right? How, how is there that much? I mean,
0: five days to two months feels like a really big gap, especially being in water. Wouldn't there be a major difference? In the way the body looks.
2: I've heard that if, like, a body is in the water, depending on how bad the, like, currents are hitting up against, like, a rock. But then again, it was in a crate, but still the jostling and the moving. I heard that could be, like, factors of, like, distorting the uh, timeline. Okay.
0: That makes sense. I guess the fact that it was, this was, you said May.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering if, like, the box, like, maybe if water didn't get into it right away, if that, they were thinking that. Oh, that's true. Or, but, like, when I think of a milk crate, I think of, like, the plastic ones at school, not, like, a wooden one. So I guess I should have Googled, like, wooden milk crates. They're, they're like, the wooden
2: ones that they sell at, like, Michael's. It's like that.
1: Oh, so, like, water would have gotten in it right away. It's not like it. I'm pretty sure. Huh. Well, then maybe they just thought it, like, helped with the elements. And I don't know. I don't know why there's a huge Interesting. But there was trauma on both arms, which was believed to have been from abuse prior to death. Her right ring finger was amputated and the wound had been bandaged with gauze and adhesive tape as if someone had tried to stop it from bleeding. Her back and feet had severe post-mortem, or after death, burns as if someone had tried to incinerate her body to dispose of her and failed. Inside the wooden crate was a newspaper dated for March 11th, 1962, a shop worker's apron, a piece of clear blue plastic, and
2: several... Right. Was- well, then it must not have been the type of crate that I was thinking of, because if there's newspaper in there that is, like, easily readable, there's no way it could have gotten wet, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not If sure. you can see the... Date on a newspaper i mean it's not like but still isn't wood you know, absorbent? That's half the newspaper isn't wood yeah. absorbent? Yeah. so like depending how long she's in that, like it had to get wet at some point right like more than a day i don't know and the absorption there's... rate though so <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like bricks are in it so clearly like they didn't put enough to it was floating so i don't could it be in the gases from the body that had am floating? Like All I can it, think about going?
2: is science experiment. How many bricks does it take to make a wooden crate fall down? That's all that's going through my head.
1: Put 45 pounds in it and then we'll add bricks and then see. But like, why tie it off with a clothesline too? Like, that doesn't make sense either.
0: I wonder if maybe that got stuck around it. Maybe it wasn't originally part of it, but since there's always gunk floating in rivers, maybe like that was just, there was just, a clothesline also in the river and maybe it got wrapped around it with a current or something.
2: Well, maybe they were thinking that if it bumped up against rocks, it could have popped open and then the body would have floated out of it.
0: Possibly. It's true. Either way, it's all weird. I
1: don't know. The whole thing's catchy. Yeah. So the newspaper was from the Philadelphia evening bulletin and it led police to believe that the killer may have been from the area since he had obtained a newspaper. And obviously the bricks A failed attempt to conceal the remains. As if that wasn't enough, there's one more detail to reveal. She was decapitated with a sharp instrument. The authorities did search the water and the riverbanks upstream, but they were never able to recover her head. So there's no photographs or no renderings of what she may have looked like because, well, they don't really have an idea. They also weren't entirely sure where the milk crate was placed in the water. One article says it was East or West River Drive but that would mean it would have floated seven to eight miles before discovery. And her cause of death was listed as obviously homicide because of that. Wow. So I dove in a little on this apron because that kind of makes me like wonder, is it like a chef or like, you know, every, I I think of, Every mom in, like, the 60s and 70s had an apron on in the kitchen. Is that just me? Like, every TV show has that. So in the 60s and 70s, aprons were considered feminine, and there was a big movement of people who wanted Mm. to stop wearing them. So they were mostly worn just by workplace people, food trades, waitresses, chefs, butchers, as well as hairdressers and barbers. So then I started looking at the clear plastic because I'm thinking, okay, like a plastic bag. Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, but plastic bags didn't show up until in the US until 79 and into big stores until 82. So then I was like, Oh, well it could have been from the butcher, but anytime I've ever gotten anything from a butcher, it's been in paper. So the only thing I can find that would be blue plastic that would make sense would be like, those plastic, like, rain scarf things that they had back then. You know, like, when women get their hair done and they had, like, that plastic thing they put over their head. Yeah. Like, older people still wear them. So, it makes me think it was a female. I know that sounds horrible, but between the apron and, like, the plastic, that's my conclusion. I know that's, like, totally left field and totally yeah. hypothetical.
0: And, I mean, she would have been too young that it would have been. Hers, right? Because she was, what, four to six years old. So she wouldn't have had anything like that on her.
1: Yeah. No, I don't think she would have. So police checked all the missing children report in the area and found nothing. And like I said before, they searched the riverbanks. It kind of came up empty as to who this little girl was. So it like drives me crazy
2: because like the podcasts, the stories that I've read, and like just TV shows. Back then, so many times, you would have people of lower class, of different ethnicities that would, like, sell their kids for different ranges for either to, like, be adopted out or to work or whatever. And I wonder if it was just one of those types of cases where no one was missing her because they thought that they were, I guess, doing something else, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think that makes sense. That was actually one of the theories is that she was a child labor person and that that's why she had the apron and the and the cut finger. So the girl in the box was buried in a potter's field alongside more than 200 other unidentified bodies. That was until 2018 when she was exhumed to extract DNA. The assistant district attorney, Anthony Voce Jr. said, quote, forget about me being a prosecutor. Just as a parent, when you have a daughter, you hear a story of this girl whose age we don't know, and no one ever reported her missing. We want to know who she is. The hope is to use the newest technology available at the University of South Florida, Um, and the forensic anthropologist there said that, quote, we take DNA samples and send it to a lab to get profiles to compare to missing persons, then do isotope analysis on elements that end up in your bones taken from food and water you ate and drank and we can reference to a broad geological area to date nothing was ever released to the public of their findings
2: so i it always i know for to exhume a body once it's buried like There's a lot of hoops to jump through, but since they are, like, Jane Doe's, technically, is there, like, no, I guess, red tape or hoops to jump? It's, like, just, like, an easy thing, since I'm guessing that's, like, a cemetery owned by, like, authorities or whatever?
1: Or... I'm thinking that it's not really a big deal um i actually put a note here because we do talk about potter's fields a lot and i was like why is it called that and sarah probably knows but um the actual term comes from the bible and the simple explanation is that after judas hanged himself the priest who paid to betray jesus used his 30 silver pieces to purchase a plot of ground for his burial in a field where the potters extracted clay for their work Um, Now, this is a section of land not suited for farming, and the term became a catch-all for public burial grounds for poor and unidentified people. These include victims of the 1918 influenza pandemic and including numbers of poor and unidentified descendants in a city during the Depression who either went unidentified or unclaimed because the relatives were unable to afford burial costs. In recent years, the remains were cremated and placed in storage until claimed. Well, I'm just, that makes you think, like,
2: their organization skills even today, like authorities, sometimes aren't the best. How do they keep up, like, who's where? Like, God forbid they accidentally exhume somebody that wasn't the right person. I mean, obviously, for this one, it's a little child, so it's different. But, you know, for, like, an adult or something, I'm thinking, like, didn't they have, like, mass graves for, like, the influenza of the unidentified, basically? I don't know. That's just so sad. It is very sad it is
1: there's another dough that I just finished where they went to exhume the body and they couldn't find it, so it's um and I've seen how like they cremate, so I witnessed um a few autopsies, and the one was a a gentleman that was here illegally, and um the family i guess they tracked down the family and they didn't have the money to send him home, so he is just cremated on a ch- on like chilling on a shelf until they claim him or take him home. I don't, I don't know. It's really sad. Really sad. So, I also wanted to know more about dismemberment, and I found that there are five main ways or reasons to, behind homicidal muti- mutilation. I could say that right, mutilation. The first being the most common is called Defensive by Forensics Specialists. It involves the act of hiding or moving a body to get rid of evidence or making identification of the victim difficult. So like cutting off their head. The second is called Aggressive and it's when you have strong emotions take over and the dismemberment is intended to kill someone, like actually cause a death. So like you're pissed and you behead someone. The third is offensive mutilation, where the dismemberment is in fact the real purpose of the murder all along. And this includes lust or necrosodistic murders. Those driven by primarily sexual motives mutilate the corpse in characteristic ways like severing genitals and breast, which we saw in that um, Beth Dow in the suitcase. Yeah. Although I think that was just to get her in the suitcase. Anyway. Yeah. Some even go as far as pulling out abdominal organs through the disfigured genital track. And the fourth is psychotic, which is kind of the premise of the voices told me to do it. And lastly, the modern world is organized crime, such as mafia and gangs that use it to send a message. So I think um, in this instance, it was to make it unidentifiable. But yeah. I thought it was kind of cool when I saw the different stages of like mutilation. Yeah, anyway. that's
0: interesting. I didn't know that existed.
1: No, no, sorry. Just going a little too far there. No, I love it. (laughs) Um, So the theories surrounding them. um, So let's take a look at that. The first theory was that the family killed her, Um, either her family or caretaker. And the purpose, it was either on purpose or by accident, which is why they didn't report a child missing and why they went through the trouble to try and conceal her identity. Um, According to my BFF Wikipedia, another thought would be that the beheading was sometimes used in mutilations of dead, particularly in black people, like Nat Turner, who led a rebellion against slavery. When caught, he was publicly hanged, flayed, and beheaded. I'm disgusted. This was a technique used by many enslavers who discouraged the frequent bloody uprisings and were carried out by kidnapped Africans. While bloody dismemberment of various kinds was employed to instill. Her post mortem decapitation was particularly effective. So, could it have been something along those lines? It just seems so extreme for a baby. Like she's a baby, like, <laughs> she's a literal child. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I feel like it was something along lines. Like if it was family, I don't think it was because she was rebellious in slavery. Like it wasn't right so there's a theory of the mafia i've also seen a few postings that the amputated finger could have been to send a message to the family and that may have been into something shady they didn't get the response they wanted and maybe they shipped them the head and dumped the body and the mafia has this quote code of ethics if you will that says that they leave women and children alone however it's said that the cecilia mafia has very little code that they follow and could be something that they would do in this instance.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that I know we, I mean, we talk about the mafia or gangs just about as often as we talk about truck drivers. Um And, True. I mean, being in this area of the state, you're so close to South Jersey. And that have got scary. a lot of, and you've got a lot of Sicilian Ties. I mean not just Italian overall, but there's a lot of Sicilian in that area, and they're a different type of Italian for sure, so
1: i could I
0: could definitely see some sort of tie in like that
1: so the amputated finger um something that it goes back to child labor, which Chelsea said, and that maybe they worked in a factory. Or there was an accident, which could explain the shop apron. But I think the the theory kind of falls short with the decapitation piece, unless they really used it just to hide someone. But, I mean, a a four-year-old in a factory is a little crazy to me. Is that crazy? If she
0: died under mysterious circumstances and, you know, maybe she lost the finger, I mean, we know she lost the finger before she died, but do we we don't know for sure if it was like that day or maybe like a week before and was still healing. I mean, I know it was wrapped, so it was still in the healing process, but um, maybe that happened. And then there was another incident and someone said, oh, because of her losing her finger working, they're immediately going to come to us. So to cover it up, maybe that's. You know, maybe someone, maybe she died in a different way and then was decapitated after just to, like, cover up the identity. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my head around a kid that small. Like, I can see, like, seven and eight, but, like, four just seems kind of small to have in a factory, but I don't, that's not my jam, so I don't know. But again... So if we think back to like the
0: boy in the box, he had a big age range that they weren't sure, you know, um, I think they said four to six, but then they also said he was really small. He was the size of like a two year old, I think, um, if I'm getting my details right. So it's possible that, you know, they're looking at her saying, oh, she's four to six. But if she was working in some sort of labor trade, she was probably not being treated very well. So it's possible that she was malnourished and based on her frame, because you figure they only have her bodily skeleton and a lot of how they can really determine age, I think is based on skull and um, like facial, whatever the word I want to use. Structures. Yes. Because the skull changes so much from even, you know, between the ages of two and ten there's so many changes so i don't know maybe she was older but her body seemed smaller and then it would make sense for her to be more in the labor
1: very possible it's also theorized that she could have been um two people so one is adele marie wells um she was a missing girl from flint michigan She was walking to school one morning, stopped at her grandmother's along the way to show off her hair, and then left and was never seen again. She was around the same height and weight as Jane Doe, and it has not been confirmed or denied by authorities that it could have been her, so no one ruled it out.
0: How she end up in PA, though? Like, how do you end up in Philly? I
1: don't know. Sex trafficking? I always say that,
0: but
1: I mean, I guess it's possible. Or again, truckers. Truckers, yeah. It's always the truckers. I mean
0: yeah, Philly's a big city. You've got <laughs> a lot of of major routes that run right through there.
1: But like Flint, Michigan, like Yeah. Is that a trucking place? I don't I don't know. I only know it from like the water issue. I mean, it's
0: it's a big enough city that it would be close to like having the ability to jump onto a major highway, not too far out.
1: So the other person is Hattie Jackson is theorized. um, It originates from Washington, D.C., where a seven-year-old African-American girl went missing in July 21st of 61. So for reference, that's about 10 months prior to the recovery of Jane Doe's remains in the river. Hattie was swimming with friends at Washington Rock Creek Park when she was lured away by a man and last seen getting into a grayish-blue Chrysler or Plymouth with a license plate that had a yellow background. Now, it's also said that there were two men. However, there was only a description of one released to the police. The man was described as being white with a suntan between the ages of 30 and 40, five foot nine, and a medium muscular build with dark brown hair brushed straight back with glasses. So a few things that kind of go against the theory is Hattie would have been, they would have had to keep her alive for over 10 months before she was killed. She was, was also thinking. reported to be four inches shorter, but given the circumstances, I think that could kind of go either way. You don't really have the head to compare. Right. In May of 62, Hattie was rolled out as being the girl in the box, so I don't know why I went through all of that information because it was rolled <laughs> out anyway, um, but I wanted to get to the suspect of Hattie's disappearance and let you kind of draw your own conclusions on whether or not, like, it's related. So, Thomas... I think, I
0: think a lot of times, too,
1: you know, like,
0: police might rule something out initially and then cycle back around to it, so... I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning.
1: Oh, it's worth mentioning for the suspect. So Thomas Holland, okay. who also went by Robert Clay Mitchell, Bud, and Tommy, was FBI's top most 10, was FBI's top 10 most wanted list. How, I, You're making like a face. Was, <laughs> was he four of the 10
0: with four and eight? Like, how do you... I don't know. Okay. I feel like this is some... Joe Goldberg will Bettelheim from the show <laughs> You stuff.
1: So, he was known as being a fast traveling and unpredictable fugitive who also used a knife and gun to commit crimes of violence. He has a history of vicious sexual attacks on children. He I was hate him. <laughs> I know. He was noted for his antisocial personality, uncontrolled behavior, and heavy addiction to alcohol. He had just been from, released from parole from Maryland State Penitentiary two years prior. A condition of his parole was that he was to secure psychiatric help, but he was never—he never appeared for treatment, and he vanished in May of '61. He was born in the Baltimore area and changed jobs frequently. Many of those jobs require aprons like a baker's hmm. helper and a chef's salad, a salad, yeah, chef salad, a salad chef and a dairy helper. He was eventually captured in Kansas in June of 62, but he bragged to the police that he had been all over the United States, including Pennsylvania.
0: Do we know if he bragged about crimes or about, I mean, even vaguely, if it was, you know, hey, I was in Pennsylvania and you'll never guess what I did there. Like, no, in my brain, he's like a... 1930s gangster that's like running away from the scene of a crime
1: now he didn't really go into I didn't find anything that said okay. exactly what he admitted to or bragged about but that he was definitely all over the United States and that he admitted to being in PA so in that time frame also fits in the time frame of unfortunately right. both of these girls so um yeah put that out there I think i can speak for all of us when i say that anytime there's a a kid involved it really just breaks our heart to see something happening to a children that they never get to experience life so if you have any information or maybe even if it's just a family story or you remember a childhood friend that disappeared around that time you can reach out to the philadelphia medical examiner's office at 215-685-7445 This little girl deserves to be identified and someone brought to justice for committing such a horrific crime.
3: In the mid-1980s, one Texas city was gripped in fear. One by one, women were disappearing. They were eventually found, but not the way anyone wanted. From the pages of the reporter's notebook comes an in-depth look at an extraordinary era of fear. We focus on seven cold cases among a long string of murders, and we think we know who the killer was. You'll hear from some of the victims' families and friends and people who worked these cases, along with a Pennsylvania expert in the behaviors of serial killers. Unfortunately, with serial killing, the more killing that you see, the more clues that you get at the expense of human life. More than 35 years later, the families are still waiting for proof, still waiting for justice, still waiting for peace. Search for still from the reporter's notebook wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So now we're going to the spooky section of this week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit about a place that some sources consider to be one of the most haunted places in America, the Eastern State Penitentiary, um, which is also in Philadelphia. Most people know it as this huge Halloween attraction now. However, the high stone walls and crumbling corridors hold 142 years worth of stories and tragedies. Eastern State Penitentiary was opened in 1829 and was believed to be the most revolutionary system to emphasize reform rather than punishment. It was built on 10 acres and had 30-foot-tall walls surrounding it. Originally, it was to house 253 prisoners in solitary confinement, which was supposed to help criminals find remorse and salvation, but it ended up making a lot of them insane. So basically you were in an eight by 12 foot cell all alone with a small skylight that they nicknamed dead eye or eye of God, because it was, that's the only light they had. And prisoners spent 23 hours a day in their cells and had two 30 minute breaks outside, but outside was a small personal exercise area. If you want to call it that it's basically like a box with the top off. It had like, you went through this small, like childlike door and you were in like this cage like, yeah it, like a it's almost like cage. being
0: inside of a chimney that's slightly bigger than an yeah. actual chimney
1: good analogy perfect analogy that's what it looks like um they were only allowed to bathe once every two weeks and even then they had to wear a hood when they were walking in the hallways so that they couldn't see anybody And if they tried to talk to anybody, they would swiftly be punished, and by punished they would be left in a dark cell for weeks and fed only bread and water, or confined to a straitjacket and gagged. The solitary confinement idea was abandoned in the early 1900s. The population went from 250ish to over 1700 inmates. Over the years, Eastern State Penitentiary housed over 75,000 inmates, a hundred of which have escaped. All of them were recaptured except for one.
0: So I don't know if you go a little bit more into this later on. Um, I love ESP. I've been down there um, just to like go through and tour it. Never on like the creepy ghost walks or anything. Just during the day. Um, but when it was built, it was built as like spokes in a wheel.
1: It and looks then like a when star when you like draw yeah. a star on a piece of paper, and then it surround- yeah. It's like circled.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and whenever they found out it wasn't housing as many inmates as they wanted to be able to house, they added second layers to some of the cell blocks, which took away that little bit of window from any of the cells that were underneath where they were adding more. Well,
2: I had heard that that second part was designed by an actual prisoner in the uh penitentiary i had heard that not sure if it's true it might have been but yeah i heard that too
1: have you been there chelsea and they... i've not oh it's off i only did the halloween thing we didn't get down there early enough to do like the walkthrough but i want to do the day and night tour i feel like it would be really cool we're thinking Just about it's doing cool. it. yeah we
2: should all the four of us should all go down plus landon landon really wants to go road trip
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah plus any boys that want to join
1: I don't... Well, my husband would do it. Mainly children. Mainly children.
0: (laughs) But husbands are okay, too.
1: So some of the most notable people that were incarcerated there was Willie Sutton, a.k.a. Slick Willie, and Al Capone. And for those of you not familiar, Slick Willie was a famous bank robber who was credited for robbing over 50 banks, had three successful escapes from prison, and had spent over 30 years of his life behind bars. Al Capone, a.k.a. Scarface is Chicago's most famous mob boss. His stay at ESP was very different than the others. He was allowed to have furniture and rugs and lights and even paintings. And I forget why he was allowed to have all that. I feel like he did something You're shaking your ear <laughs> You're making the money thing. What do you do? Pay the the warden to be able to have all that stuff?
0: I mean it was it was money. It was mob connections and I forget the exact story of it, but um, it was something along the lines of just knowing people and patting people's pockets and he could get what he wanted because he had money and quite honestly they were probably afraid of him.
1: But like paintings? Like that's just I can think of a yeah, million that... other things other than like, let's put paintings in here. Well, Dress it up a little bit. <laughs> I also read
2: that when he was released, uh apparently they had released a day that he was going to be you know, let out, but then the warden actually let him out way earlier than his time because they were worried that the people would hurt him on his way out.
1: Yeah, he was released early on good behavior, as I said it, but like you said, it was so that he wouldn't get hurt, which is shocking because um, the warden, Herbert Hardboiled Smith, as they call him who ruled the prison from the 20s and 30s, is probably the most famous person there. Pennsylvania only sentenced prisoners to Eastern State Penn when they felt that the prisoners needed Warden Smith's, quote, strong reform tactics. So here's a section of an article written October 24th of 2013 by WITF talking more about this, quote, said reform. They said the harsh punishments used to prisoners are enough to make you shiver even without seeing a ghost. There was a water bath in which inmates were dunked and then hung out on a wall in winter until ice formed on their skin. The mad chair, which bound an inmate so tightly that circulation was cut off, later necessitating amputations the iron gag in which the inmates hands were tied behind their back and strapped to an iron collar in their mouth so that the movement caused the tongue to tear and bleed profusely and quote the hole, a dank underground cell where unfortunate souls had no light, no human contact, no exercise, no toilet and little food or air.
0: Did you see the hole when you toured it for the Halloween thing?
1: No. So like when we went in, you have to like, pretend sign a waiver which you know is bullshit it's just them to like make you more scared and then um we had the option of the glow stick so if you opt to get a glow stick you're agreeing to let them touch you so like they can like grab you and pull you out and they grabbed a, a girl in our group and put her in the back of an ambulance and drove off like it gets a little crazy so I kind of wish I would have grabbed a glow stick at the beginning, but I didn't. Um, Next time I will. Um, The place itself is creepy, but I've only seen it in the dark. And it was only during like the whole like fake Halloween thing. Not the real. Now we did go to Al Capone's cell. Cell. Um, Yeah, we went and had like drinks and they played like music and we got to see it. But um, I didn't actually get to see the whole. Did you
0: see? I mean, the whole it's. It's just part of their... Like, if you go and do the audio tour, um, there's... The audio tour takes you through, like, most of the prison itself. But then um, there's, like, four extra things you can do that meet at certain times. And one of them is going down into... I forget what they actually call it. Um, But you enter from the outside, and then it goes under the building. And it is literally, like, if you well, okay, so I've seen a lot of this because I've been researching it with Harrisburg State Hospital. But like if you think of any sort of basement or industrial like underground area and you imagine just like pipes running along the walls, it's like that except it's literally like five feet tall. And if they're putting you in one of the whole cells down there, there's like a walking area and then there's cells on the side that weren't technically cells, but they were hundred percent used as cells and to get in there, there was a concrete beam over your head. So it was maybe only three feet. Like you were literally crawling over and under pipes and a lot of them were hot pipes to get with, into the hole, to, to get in. And then that heat was staying in there. You're being trapped. There's like you said, little air and it, you're like just sweating your life out and it's creepy even being down there in full daylight with a tour guide and a group of people.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'd be a tour guide there. Like it would freak no. me out, especially after reading some of this stuff. Like there's there's no way. And even like the actors and stuff, they're like different sections. They won't even they won't even go to
0: Penhurst is the same way. I know we've talked about that in other episodes, but yeah, like I know that's the same way, too. PA is creepy anyway.
1: (laughs) So after hearing all this, I can imagine that people would be roaming the halls. I mean, if you're tortured like that, I would be haunting for revenge. Um, The first ever quote ghost story actually came from Al Capone himself, who said that he was haunted by the ghost of James Clark. And James was a victim of the St. Valentine's Day massacre in Chicago Al supposedly screamed, Jimmy, go away and leave me alone, literally every night, but I feel like that's kind of karma or maybe a bad dream, not really like a haunting. Yeah. A few of the cells were particularly singled out in my research. Sublock 6 and 12 have a lot of reports of like shadows and voices and footsteps and like all the typical things you would hear when someone says a place is haunted. However, sublock four is completely different. A man named Gary Johnson, who worked there and was helped maintaining the building in the early 90s, reported that he had opened the cell and a force grabbed him so tight that he was unable to move. A horrible negative energy was also felt, and he said that he saw tormented faces appear on the cell walls. A few other places said to be haunted is the third floor of cell block one, where visitors said that they hear cell doors opening and then slamming shut. And a lot of people report seeing silhouettes in of guards in the watchtowers. I don't know, like, if that's all year long or if that's just I during, like, Halloween. Because so. I don't know if they put people up there for the... Not that I want to discredit it, but I don't know if they put people up there. Or if there are actually guards that are still up there because it's... They're protecting it. I don't... Yeah,
0: I know. Because that's a really common one that people talk about. And... I mean, you guys know me. I get super obsessed with all these ghost stories and paranormal things. And, I mean, ESP is a very common place for investigations. And there's a couple different shows that have gone and investigated there. And they all say, you know, well, if people see guards in the watchtowers. I don't think they've ever actually caught evidence of anything crazy in the watchtowers. I think it might just be like a spook factor or legitimately are just human people walking that walk in the guard towers yeah
1: the um i know that the catwalk is a place that paranormal investigators have caught shadows on videos and temperature fluctuations and one person even said that they heard a man say i'm lonely in general there have been reports of hearing cries of pain cell doors jingling, furniture moving, footsteps, orbs, streaks of light, tapping, and just the feeling of being watched, which would creep me out on its own. While there was a death row cell block at ESP, there were no executions that took there. However, there were a lot of deaths over the year, two of which being guards that were murdered. One was murdered when a prisoner tried to escape and he struck him several times with a homemade hatchet in the head. And the other guard, I couldn't find any name or information about what happened there except that he was murdered. I think one was strangled.
0: See, you got more than me. But I may be misremembering that or just making
1: it up. So ESP has been featured on different shows over the years and even in a few movies when they need an old scary-ass building. I'd encourage anyone to visit if you have not been there.
2: One of the fun facts that I like about it is actually like if you look at the cost compared to today, it's uh, basically comparable comparable to how much the capital of PA cost. Oh, I mean, that's of the U.S. Where I live, I can't. Oh, what? I can't remember which one. Maybe hold on. U.S. Capital. I'm sure it's. Ex- I'm
1: sure it's expensive. Like
2: uh, eighteen million. Jeez. With all the renovations that they had to do with all, like, the extra, like, prisoners and stuff.
1: That's crazy. When
0: I think, I may be wrong, but I think it was, like, the first actual penitentiary, like, where the purpose of it was, you know, like, you talked about the reform rather than necessarily, like, punishment. Um, And that, like, their goal was that's why they would isolate people is so that you would just reform your mind by being totally isolated. And, you know, that clearly worked out really well.
1: I mean, Um, in the last year of 2020, like, (laughs)
0: no wonder people went insane. (laughs) Right now, imagine that without electricity or Wi-Fi or Hulu or Oxygen
1: or TikTok. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank God for TikTok. Thank
1: God for TikTok. Um, so I have pictures of like a hooded in me and it's, <laughs> I can't... they're like
0: executioner style hoods.
1: <laughs> I was going to say something different, but I'm just not going to bring that into the conversation, but we'll put it on the it's late. Don't
0: it's late. Just <laughs> don't creep me out.
1: Um, and also the iron gag. I have a picture of that too. It's, it's wonderful, but yeah, that's one word for it. So, um, I don't know why I felt like the penitentiary had was kind of like a state hospital. I mean, they seemed to run a whole bunch of crazy shit on them.
0: I think because it, it kind of was more like a hospital in the start with this idea of, you know, creating penitents rather than jailing and you know, punishing and whatnot um but then obviously like you said you know it went from like 250 and then like quadrupled.
1: yeah so that's all i got on eastern state penitentiary like i said if you haven't been there go there it's it's really neat you usually park at like the philly zoo and they shuttle you over at least they do for halloween um but it's definitely a cool place to see that's all we have for this episode of keystone cold cases podcast please remember to never reach out to family or friends of the victims only to law enforcement if you have any information. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Amanda. Find all our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Please join us next week for another case to sleuth out.